Welcome to episode number 32 of In the Word with Mel Bennett, a study of scripture passages from the Word of God. My name is Steve Webb. Thank you for being with us today. Pastor Bennett is again in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. Today, he's focusing on verses 41 through 50. So if you have your Bible with you, let's read along with our pastor. By the way, he's reading from the New International Version. Pastor? Thank you, Steve, and welcome to our podcast this morning or today, uh, we're going to be dealing with a subject taken from John the 6th chapter, verses 41 through 50, to begin with, about the impossibility of believing and understanding that the Jewish people have. Before I begin, I want to say thank you to all of our listeners who have put up with us these past number of months, and the slowness in the past couple of weeks of getting a podcast out to you. Uh, we trust that we'll work out some of the difficulties that we've had and get this on a more even keel. So thank you for your patience. Our text starts in John six forty-one through 50. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. The interesting thing about this passage is that it tells us why the Jewish people rejected Jesus, and in rejecting him rejected eternal life. First of all, they judge things by human values and external standards. Their only statement was that he was a carpenter's son, and they had seen him grow up in Nazareth. They said, we knew his father and his mother. How can this be? You see, they could not understand how such a common person could possibly be a special messenger from God. They judged Jesus by human assessment and worldly standards. We need to be careful that we never reject a message from God because we do not like or care for the messenger. <clears throat> we would not reject a check for $1,000 because we did not like the envelope that it came in. God chooses many different messengers. God's greatest message came to man through a simple person from Galilee. That was why the Jewish people refused the message. They were so busy with their own personal arguments that they missed the issues God wanted them to know. They were glad to let other people know their opinion on a given matter, but they were not the least bit interested in what God had to say on a matter. 
I was reading an article in a magazine recently concerning the fact that some Supreme Court decisions were not right. You see, we as a nation have chosen to make decisions on moral issues that belong to God. And we have separated ourselves from God. We think we know more than God and want our way instead of His. As a people, we would be better to stop and be quiet and pray and ask God what He thinks and what He wants us to do. After all, it doesn't really matter so much what we think. What God thinks is what really matters, and we have forgotten to ask Him. In the matters of Roe versus Wade and school prayer, we think we know better than God, and I'm afraid we're reaping a harvest for our poor decisions, burning, rioting, destruction of buildings, homes, and lives are the end result. Oh, may God be merciful to us, is my prayer. Thirdly, they listened, but they did not learn. There are different kinds of listening, here are a few. Criticism, that is which only criticizes the speaker. That's the person who listens to somebody but has nothing good to say about them, only criticizes them because they think they know more. Secondly is a resentment, that which resents the one speaking for no good reason or simply resents, period. See, this person resents the speaker and so can't hear what they're saying. They have their own opinions and simply resent what another person has to say. Then there is the issue of superiority. This is a person who thinks they know more than anyone else. Oh, you've run into them. I have too. People who know everything. Know more than the most elect, brilliant theologians that are around. They have all their opinions. But oh, how wrong they can be sometimes. Indifference is a fourth reason. This is the I don't care attitude. Nothing is more important that I need to listen to. In my opinion, I don't care. I just don't care. I have an attitude problem. And sometimes we need to change our stinking thinking and get a proper attitude. He or she wants to speak is my fifth reason. This is the person who wants to say something, always has something to say, but never anything important. But they always want to speak anyway. And they don't care what they say, but, uh, oh, listen to me, I have something to say. I'm speaking and you be quiet. The only worthwhile listening is that which listens and learns. There is no other way to listen to God. Let me repeat that. The only worthwhile listening is that which listens and learns. There is no other way to listen to God. Fourthly, these people resisted the drawings of God. The Greek translation of the word draw is interesting. It is the same word used in Jeremiah the 31st chapter in the third verse, when he says, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. But the interesting thing about the Greek word is that it almost always speaks of some kind of resistance. It is the same word that is used of Paul and Silas being dragged before the magistrate in Philippi. The word dragged and drawn are one and the same, basically. That's Acts 16 and 19. See, there are a number of other references, but for the sake of time, I will not use them now. Suffice it to say, the idea of resistance is always there. God can draw 
and does draw people, but people's resistance can deter God from drawing us to himself. Jesus is the bread of life. Therefore, he is essential for life. To refuse him is to refuse life. In the book of Numbers, we are told the people who deliberately rejected the word of God had no part in the promised land and eventually also in life to come. The religious leaders of Jesus' day knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew this truth, but because they refused the guidance of God, they were forever shut off from the promises of God. To refuse Jesus is to refuse the essentials of life, and it is therefore to miss life in this world and the world to come. In contrast, to accept the offer of Jesus is to find life, a life which gives real meaning in the world and great glory in the world to come. Now, join with me as I look at verses 50 through 59 very quickly. Here's what we read. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, Jesus said, which a man may eat and not don't die. I am the living bread that came from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give to the, for the life of the world. Then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread of life that came down from heaven. Your fathers ate manna and died but he who feeds on the bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is a difficult passage for us today to understand, but the Israelites living in Jesus' day, it was not. They fully understood what he was talking about. Let me explain. When an animal was given for a sacrifice, it seldom was all burnt up. Part of the flesh was offered on the altar, and leaders, and the rest was given to the priests and other of the religious leaders for their meal. As they ate the flesh of a sacrifice that had been offered, they believed the God to whom the offering was made sat down with them. When they ate the flesh of the sacrifice, they believed they were taking to themselves a part of the idol they were sacrificing to. When Jesus spoke of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, they understood the symbolism of the words he spoke. They would know something of the experience of union closer than any earthly union. This is language that the ancients would understand, and so can we today if we will let the Holy Spirit lead us. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we are given the meaning, the inner significance of the words of Jesus. Then let us ask ourselves to let the Spirit guide us as we attempt to understand the full meaning of Jesus' words. First of all, we may take them in a general sense. When Jesus spoke of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he was speaking of his complete 
and full humanity. John in his letter, in his first letter, lays it out with great compassion. He says, this is how, in John 4, 2 and 3, he says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. John wants us to grasp and never let go of the fact of the full humanity of Jesus. He was born of bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. Now, what does this mean? Jesus was God become a man. He was the God man. What does that mean? In Jesus, we see God taking human life upon himself, facing our own human situation, struggling with our own human problems, battling with our own human temptations, and working out our human relationships. It is as if Jesus was saying, feed your heart, your mind, your soul on me, every thought of my manhood, and realize it was for you that I became a man. Then Jesus said, you drink my blood. Blood stands for life. As blood flows from a wound, life ebbs away. God told Israel in Genesis 9:41 and Deuteronomy 10, 16, 23, that they should not eat anything that had blood in it. A thing remains external until we take it within ourselves. It is so with Jesus and the life of God. As long as he remains only a figure in a book, he is external to us. But when he comes into our heart, he is within us, and we can feed upon the life and strength of God. Jesus said, you must take me into you, and you must come into me, and then you will have a real life, real life. This is abiding in him and he in us. I believe John was referring to the Lord's table as well. Unless he is within us, we have no part in him, and we cannot sit down at the table of love. If you want life, you must eat at the table, and through that symbolic act, take of his body and blood. John refused to limit that presence of Christ to an ecclesiastical environment and a liturgical service. He believed at this meal. You can find the bread that speaks of his manhood and the wine which speaks of his blood. I pray that God will make these truths real to us today. May I again close with the words of him. This is a beautiful old hymn that was written by Iris Danville. It's not near as old as some that I've read to you, but it is an older hymn. There is room at the cross for you. The cross upon which Jesus died is his shelter in which we can hide. And his grace so free is sufficient for me, and deep is its fountain, as wide as the sea. There's room at the cross for you. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one, for there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him a friend and have turned from the sins they have sinned, the Savior still waits to open the gates and welcome a sinner before it's too late. The hand of my Savior is strong, and the love of my Savior is long. Through sunshine or rain, through loss or in gain, the blood flows from Calvary to cleanse every stain. There's room at the cross for you. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. 
I pray that you will gasp the truth of that song this morning or today as you listen to this podcast. Let's pray in closing, shall we? Our Father and our God, we thank you for salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that we have of salvation through him who is our life. Oh God, make real to us the blood and body and the flesh of your flesh, that we are bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh, that we are part of the manhood of God, and God became a man that we might have eternal life through him when he died upon the cross and gave his life a ransom for many. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor. I'm so glad there's room at the cross for everyone who will put their faith in Jesus. Where would we be without that assurance? Pastor Bennett would love to hear from you. You can email him at pastorb at lifespringmedia.com. I hope you'll join us next time. The best way to get all of Pastor Bennett's podcasts is to subscribe. Of course, it's free. If you have a podcast app, just search in your app for In the Word with Mel Bennett, or you can subscribe at subscribe.lifespringmedia.com. There's even a way there for you to receive an email whenever a new podcast is published. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.